Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, June 25th. We have a fantastic episode for all of you listeners today as I am joined by Cracked Rackets contributor David Gertler to break down the Wimbledon qualifying results. We officially know the 16 men, 16 women that will be advancing to the third Grand Slam of the 2021 season's main draw. David and I talk about our biggest takeaway from the qualifying event. We talk about which players are perhaps dangerous entering the main draw. We could see them in a second, third, maybe even fourth round. We talk, of course, about the next genders who thrived as well. We also wanted to look at this week's two ATP and WTA warm-up events, talk about what we can learn from those events as we look towards Wimbledon. We also talked about which players are perhaps dark horses, once again, entering this year's 2021 Wimbledon event. It is a fantastic conversation. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy, of course. Before we get to that conversation, I have to remind all of you that these podcasts are made possible day in, day out due to the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Tennis Point. You need the best equipment at the best prices. It's simple. Tennis-point.com. You'll If you use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, it's tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. You use that promo code CR15. You'll let them know we sent you there as well, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's get to my conversation, recapping Wimbledon qualifying and talking warm-up events with Cracked Rackets contributor David Gertler. Joining us for the second time this week on our Crack Rackets podcast, you know him as a contributor to our web- website, crackrackets.com. You know him as a contributor to Last Word on Tennis. You know his All About Tennis blog. You know his Twitter persona at TennisBlogger1. I know him as my friend David Gertler. David, welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Uh, just got rained on a little bit, but besides that, I'm doing good. That's good to know that it does rain in New Orleans. And yeah, I feel like it's raining everywhere right now throughout. It has been pouring here in Indianapolis. I know I'm headed to Champaign to watch the 25K. They moved indoors because it's raining there as well. It's just fortuitous, right? I feel like that's just what we're getting at Wimbledon. Are we going to be dealing with a bunch of rain over the next two weeks? Is it going to screw up the schedule? It feels like it's inevitable. Absolutely. And on grass, this first drop of rain, the tarps are out. Luckily, we have a roof on uh, center court, though, so we'll get something. Uh, But but usually, you know, honestly, center court matches are usually the worst because... Because it's usually like, you know, Federer or I feel like I've watched Federer play Istamin a million times on the center court of Wimbledon, like literally a million times. Really? I mean, I don't think that's actually true, but it's always like an Istamin or a Stakowski or like an Henri Mathieu back in the day yeah. where it's just like he's blitzing through two, three, and one. And it's like, yeah. okay, like who was that for? I remember my brother and in, in uh, my family, I couldn't go, went to Wimbledon and they watched uh, better play uh, Lajevic on center court in person. And that was really cool um, a few years ago. Uh, but for the viewers... It's not so great when it's two sets to love and there's nothing else going on. Not that ESPN would show anything else anyway, but, you know. Uh, You know, it's a shot at ESPN and not my boys at Tennis Channel, so I'll endorse it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, No, I mean, it's funny because speaking of the rain, quick personal anecdote, I was playing a league match, or not a league match, I'm in this tennis ladder in Indy and I haven't played tennis since 2017. Like, I mean, I've I've hit fewer than 20 times. I say I'm retired and it's because for me, even though I, first of all, let me be aware. I, we talk about it all the time. I'm very clear club tennis in the grand scheme of things means nothing, but we did win a national championship. And like to get that sort of high, I'm like, Oh, like we, I was chasing something for so long. And 
now I'm not chasing anything. And to play tennis aimlessly doesn't have quite the same appeal to me. But then Dalton was like, hey, there's this ladder thing. Do you want to join? And I was like, that is what I've been looking for. And so I started playing more again recently. And today I played the or yesterday, the number one player on the ladder. And I'm not good. Like, I, OK, I'm fine. I'm better than people think. I'm not like anything special, but this ladder league has not been the highest quality in this match though. I played the number one guy on the ladder and finally, David, I got a good match in like this guy, you know, again, we're t- talking rallies that go above five to 10 shots. Like we're actually getting physical yeah. playing some serious tennis and I'll take the first set six, two. And this is the best set of tennis I've played since 2017. And it's two, three add in second set. We start getting poured on just absolute oh, no. downpouring. And um, so the match is to be continued on Tuesday. But anyways, I'm in a good mood. I'm ready to talk some tennis. And certainly it feels like we've had some really good tennis this week beyond just the Wimbledon qualifying, which we're going to recap today. We've had two ATP warm-up events, two WTA warm-up events that I feel like have featured some pretty high-level grass court tennis. And so I want to cover all of these things on today's podcast as a prelude, again, for the upcoming Wimbledon, we all know it's been such a small sample size of grass court events, three weeks in the buildup to this year's third Grand Slam. And we don't have a 2020 sample size to turn to as well. I'm curious, how much stock are you putting in these past three weeks of results, David? Because again, like so many players, their narratives have completely shifted on both the men's and women's side since the last grass court tennis we saw in 2019. Do you put more stock in people who have pedigree on the surface or are you going with the players who are hot and have confidence right now because I'm trying to figure out which lane to pick and it's pretty tough it's I would say that I put the most stock into the players that I haven't seen on grass before so I want to see how they play so like for instance we hadn't seen Brandon Nakashima play before on grass at least in I don't know if he played in juniors but at least not professionally (laughs) so it was interesting to see how he handled it and he struggled at first but then and Wimbledon qualifying, he turned on the Jets. So for me, that was new information, whereas we all know that Djokovic is going to be fine whether he won in that, yeah, whether he wins Mallorca doubles or not. Uh, See, but, but it's not even him, and sorry to cut you off, but it's not the Djokovic, and to your point, I agree with you about the Brandon Nakashimas. The new data points are certainly valuable. If you look at tennis abstracts, ELO ratings, grass court specific, they're really screwed up right now because there's a bunch of players, Musetti, Alcaraz, Baez, and all of the, the likes who have never played a grass court match before. So there's literally nothing to go off of. But even players beyond that, a Matteo Berrettini, who's 18 and five in his grass court matches, two titles on grass courts. He's my second favorite contender on the men's side. And there's a huge gap between Djokovic and everyone else. Let's be clear. But like even someone like that, he's played fewer than 30 matches in his career at the ATP level on grass, David. So it's just like, that's not that many data points. Like Ugo yeah, but- Bear right now is third in grass court ELO rating. And it's hard to disagree because at least in his career in this limited sample size, it's been all success. Yeah. But the thing about Berrettini is we, I remember I was watching him and I think it was in 2019 um, in, in Stuttgart uh, mm-hmm. again, where he won that tournament. And that's all I need to see to know that he was going to be <laughs> great on grass Queens club. No offense. They really fell off this year in terms of the player field. Uh, so I, I didn't, you know, he, I was, I was expecting to win that title because he was better than everyone else. But I mean, but isn't wins- that a data point in itself? It's, it's a lot easier to say, oh, he's better than everyone else. And he wins, he should win the tournament, but he did it. And he did it in dominant fashion. Like to me, that is yeah. a relevant data point. And I, I guess this gets to a larger discussion of how much clay court tennis or clay court grass court tennis do you need to see before, you know, you have the script on someone. I guess for me, it's that we've seen 23 matches now and it's the same story for Berrettini repeatedly. Like that to me is enough. Whereas, you know, some of these other players, even Medvedev, he's played, I think, fewer than 30. And like Tsitsipas has played like 10. Rublev's played like 10. There's just not a lot to go off of. Yeah, it's it's hard with grass. It's especially hard because it probably the warm-ups do probably mean more than, for instance, Cincinnati or exactly. Montreal. Uh, just because we all know how players play on hard courts. Hard courts, 
at least in this area of the world where we are, they're everywhere and there's tournaments all the time on them. So, and there's, same with clay um, mm-hmm. in Europe. Yeah, no, there's a listener out there who's like, and Toronto, David, don't forget about Toronto. Um, uh, yeah. Y- yeah, but no, I... I agree with you. I, I think that's a very fair point to make. And again, it's on the women's side. Andrescu and Sviantec, who I would say most of the time enter tournaments, they're contenders to win the title. They've each won one match in their careers on grass courts. Like, it, it applies to both the men and the women. Let's be clear here. And again, that gets us into our qualifying results. And we know parody is the name can, of the game on the women's side. Can oh, I sorry. say something quickly about Sviantec? You, you, you cannot, David. No, of course, okay. please. Um, I just want to say, you know, Sharapova once said she was a cow on ice on uh, <laughs> on uh, clay. I yes. Swiatek looked like a cow on ice on grass. Uh, and I know she beat Heather Watson. That was a choke, though. That was a big choke job. Uh, and so and she got exposed against Kazakina a little bit. I do not expect any results, any All sort right. of results from her at Wimbledon. I'm really happy you said this. I'm going to push back here right away. Um a, it's good that we disagree again. Um, a, I think Kasakina, every metric is a dark horse to do some serious yeah. damage at this Wimbledon. She's got the pedigree. She has made a Wimbledon quarterfinal before. She comes into this with confidence. She made the final in uh, last week. She made the quarterfinal here this week. Lost a really fun match to Ostapenko in that quarterfinal. Her athleticism, her ability to move the ball to the outer third, change direction with each ground stroke she hits, and then sneaky good pop as well, sneaky good angle, just that variety. It's a really tough matchup for Sviantec. And I think, again, I think that result had more to do with Kasakina than it did with Iga. But watching that first set, David, there were pieces there for Iga. A, when you leave a forehand in the center that she can set on, Iga's winning the point because she, I mean, she hits the inside out most comfortably, but her ability to disguise the cross court and the the heaviness with which she hits that ball on a grass court, even if you track that ball down, you're not getting to the next shot under any circumstance. And her ability to go down the line off of both wings when she stretched in the outer third, that's a skill you need to have. I thought her movement looked pretty good. The serve is the question. I mean, she returns well everywhere, but the serve is the question. It did not translate well even though she made a high percentage of her first serves it just it looked shoddy in both the Watson and the Kasakina matches that's definitely an issue but I'm not ready to write her off because again no Halep no Osaka we don't know how healthy Barty is Muguruza and Kvitova look healthy but they're still nursing injuries as well outside of that group like you want to say Serena like you really feel that much better about Serena right now Serena is the favorite on that yeah, she's the she is odds maker's favorite. And she's like plus seven eighty. That speaks to the openness of the event. Like that's why I can't write off Ika yet. I wonder, but are people are we undervaluing undervaluing Barty? That's a hundred percent. I couldn't. Well, it depends, but you can't. Was. But you can't say that because we don't know how healthy she is. Like the yeah. last time we saw her, she retired in a second round match. That is true. It's I yeah, it's wide open. I and so you I. I'll agree with you there that maybe, maybe she'll make me look stupid and she will, <laughs> and she will pull it, pull it off because you're right. There really isn't anyone that you can say is definitively better than ever, anyone else. And I'm going to really go through the draw and try to figure out who I think is going to win. But at the same time, it could be, it could be just about like seated, unseated. It could be just men. I could say 40 different players, to feel like they can make the second week mm-hmm. is there like is there a world where camilla georgie makes the quarterfinals well she retired today uh against- but i think that's in in preservation for wimbledon but just i'm just saying hypothetically like if i told you camilla georgie made the quarterfinals would you be like yeah i guess so sure she's one of my favorite players well, uh, but the, she made the go. quarterfinals in 2018 and she was a set away from the semifinals against Serena. Well, this, so so this would, gets to this gets to the point of and again, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's just like anything can happen. Right. That, yeah. That's why you can't write <laughs> off anyone. 
because I think I it was at Ola, Anna K Forever Olegas tweeted out uh, that there have been like four men who have made a Wimbledon quarterfinal in the draw. And I think there have been 15 women who have made a quarterfinal of Wimbledon in this year's draw. So again, like the Joe Conta run, who knows what's coming over these next two weeks. But what we do know, David, is which players are going to go from qualifying to the main draw now qualifying officially in the books at the 2021 Wimbledon. Let's start on the men's side because, you know, uh, we were talking locks. Should you even use the term locks anymore? Well, we were I right. I got up- a nice debate on tw- a nice convo on Twitter. I saw which we always appreciate, by the way, anyone who takes anything from these podcasts, shout out to you, because I swear to God, I'm making it up as I go. But um, no, you look at the results that we saw a couple of players we were circled in on. We had the all UCLA battle, a battle we thought could end up happening. And it did Mackie McDonald, Max Cressy. Now Mackie comes back from two sets to love down three, six, four, six, six, three, six, four, six, four. He qualifies for the main draw. The two things I love about Wimbledon qualifying a that they play a three out of five set final round in on the men's side B that they then give the players ample time to rest and recover before their first round match. If you're going to play three out of five, you got to give these players at least two days. That's exactly what Wimbledon does. Shout out to them and shout out to this match. Uh, Mackie gets through in qualifying there. Your thoughts on that one, your thoughts for Cressy who has been struggling of late for him to get to this final round qualifying be that close to the finish line feels like it bodes well for him coming up to his probably one of his favorite parts of the season not the indoor hard courts I suppose but certainly the outdoors well even indoors he's he I remember him and Rinderneck had that uh yeah the Canada yeah the Canada fest series yeah Yeah. uh but he's so imposing when he's hitting his spots on his serve and he is charging the net there's just nothing that you can do sometimes when he hits that serve that hits a spy. And then all of a sudden, where do you go? You have such a small a- angle or such a small window to hit the ball through to even keep it the point alive. It's, it's just impressive when he's playing well. Now, well, with that said, I, I definitely noticed some choking in the, uh, <laughs> against what against Hustler. He, the first time he faced a break point, and I got some flack for this for calling it a choke on Twitter, but I, I'm sorry it's a choke. The uh, first time he uh, faced a break point all match was when he was serving for the match in the second set. Then he was up a mini break in the second set tie break, and then he ended up giving that away. Now, he did recover well, and then against Mackey, he was up two sets to love, like he said, and he ultimately lost that one in five. But, but, I think that Cressy has so much potential at the same time, he needs to lower the number of double faults. That's always been a problem with him. And I just think he needs to close these matches out more, but he's close. He really is close. I think to an even bigger breakthrough than he already has. Mm -hmm. No, it's, I mean, it's so interesting to see. And again, on the, from the Mackie perspective, Mackie just keeps rocking and rolling. Like this guy is getting back to the top 100. We both agree, right? By the end of this Absolutely. season, there's no denying that. And I haven't looked closely at the draw. I'm not sure who he plays first round, as long as it's not Novak Djokovic. And I don't think it is. Uh, he's got a shot to legitimately win the match, but I mean, to your point, especially on these grass courts, Cressy did a great job of executing and he yeah. plays his game style through and through until the McDonald's end. McDonald plays catching up. Oh, ooh, ooh. That's an interesting one. Uh, but no, I mean, you look for him. Uh, I mean, I think he was three of 14 on break points. Mackey was four of 14 on break points. Cressy was 73 of 120 at the net, David. And by the way, shout out to the Wimbledon stats. It's nice to be back because they are people who include net points. I mean, Cressy puts a ton of pressure on you. And to Mackey's credit, sets three, four, five, he executed, got the breaks of serve he needed uh, to, to win the match. And like, the problem with Cressy is it's very one-dimensional. There's no denying that. And it keeps you uncomfortable because it's not the sort of, I'm going to hit through every ball and get to that. It's a lot of chip and charge. It's a lot of, hey, you're going to get a clean look at a pass, but I am literally on top of the net and I'm six foot six, so you can't lob me either. Like it, 
there's definitely a lot of pressure he puts on you and we've seen him succeed at a high level, but it's usually on indoor hard courts where that serve is just that much more effective. And I do wonder again, outdoor matches, varieties of surfaces, does he have enough other to get inside the top 100? I don't know. The serve is there, the volleys and the, the playing to win playing on your terms skill set is there, but I don't know if the forehand, the return skills, everything else is. Well, the serve is there sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I'm telling you, he double faults so often. And just in general, I'm not just talking about Wimbledon qualifying. There's been plenty of other instances where he's been in tight sets, where he's just given points away, double faulting. And when you don't have, and when you're relying so much on your serve to get you free points, it's really hard to, to win those you know, matches when you're playing these tight sets, serve centric, and you're double faulting a lot. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. And again, credit to Mackie McDonald, who puts so much pressure on his opponents. And again, you look for Mackie, who, if memory serves me correct, made a round of 16 here at Wimbledon. Uh, I want to say that was 2017, maybe 2018, somewhere around then. But you it was... um... It was 2018. Yeah, 2018. But you look for Mackey now in his last 52 weeks, 40 and 22. Like, that's what you have to do to get back into the top 100. He will be It there. wasn't easy, though, for him. He had to go to a deciding set every match. Hey, that that's how you earn it. And so he is into the main draw. And as you mentioned now, he's got Hatchinoff. That is a fascinating matchup. Let's stick with the guys who have a little college tennis experience because there are a couple of them in the draw. Brandon Nakashima, as you mentioned earlier, he advances straight sets over Ernest Golbis. He looked fantastic. All qualifying long. You look elsewhere. Uh, Arthur Rinderneck, former Texas A&M standout. He gets a straight set win over Miljovic to advance to the main draw. Stanford rising sophomore Arthur Ferry, wild card into this event, wins his first two matches, wins his first two sets over number eight seed Talon Greek Spore, then loses two tiebreakers in four and five, six two in the fifth. Greek Spore ends up advancing. For the record, I believe Francisco Surindolo was at South Carolina for like a month and he loses in four sets in his final round qualifying match to Zhang, six love, six three, six seven, seven six your thoughts on all the college men's results we saw uh david obviously in particular i know you already mentioned it nakashima i thought looked great and then it's hard to deny with all the success render next had at both the challenger and atp level making a couple round of 16s quarterfinals he's a top 100 guy or certainly on the fringes at this point your thoughts on everything that unfolded yeah so nakashima won at least 75 of his first serve points in all three qualifying matches, which is huge because he doesn't have the biggest first serve, but I do think he hits his spots well and he and he can really, he understands how to construct the point after making his first serve so that it, it he just understands point construction very well. Um, so he won 75% of his first serve points and in two of the matches, he won over 80% of his first serve points. And he faced a total of nine break points over the course of three matches. And that includes a best of five match. So that's really impressive. But yeah. Rinderneck was probably even more impressive on his first serve. <laughs> he won at least 79% of his first serves in all three matches. And then in the final two qualifying rounds against Pennington Jones and Milo, Milojevic, who is actually a pretty solid player, he won over 90% of his first serves. That's ridiculous, especially again, over the course of best of five. Um, and so he only, so after he was broken in his first service game of the qualifying tournament, rendered neck wasn't broken and only faced two break points. That's ridiculous serving stats. What impresses me most about rendered neck is not only that he's having success on these fast services. I think when I saw him play on play so well, that was more encouraging for the future for me, though, just because it showed that he could still impose his game on slower surfaces, too. Um, I'm thinking of, I think it was in Leon when he had that run. Um, no, when and I, then I also our, just went. It, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. You go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, just to respond. Oh, you're too kind. Again, there's that Southern charm. Um, when <laughs> I think of Arthur Rinderneck, and this is something I've talked about on these podcasts so frequently, this is why I have a type. And it's that 6'4 to 6'6 
fluid athlete with the big weapons. That's just the direction modern men's tennis is going in because you watch Arthur Rinderneck move for someone at his size. And you're like, are you kidding me? And just the way yeah. he hits the forehands out of corners, the way he uses his length to beat you to the spot. And then, you know, the way he hits his serve, you're like, oh yeah, this guy's six foot five as well. Like he's just going to hit 125 bombs wherever to set up his forehand and he just makes it look really, really easy. And again, it's it's just not hard for him to manufacture power. And if you hang a second serve, he's going after that ball. Then he can move well also. He's got a really well-rounded skill set. Like, again, I just... I don't know how that guy doesn't have success throughout his pro career because he can... Because of the physical gifts and the well-rounded skill set, he can just do a little bit of everything and it works across surfaces. Absolutely. He... Two break points after this first yeah. service game of the in three after almost three full matches, two break points. That's crazy. I mean, and it, and it, I'm not saying he's going to be number one in the world. Like sometimes when I speak highly of these people, I, I'm afraid that that's what it comes off as. There's there are things Rinderneck does doesn't do exceptionally well. He's good, not great as an athlete. His forehand will get a little slap happy. If you jam that backhand corner, he'll slice out of it, and then you have him on the run. There are reasons why you know it's maybe a top fifty ceiling for him. But that ceiling is definitely there, and I think the floor is astronomically high. And yeah, that's what that length provides him, is just that margin of error that other players may not have. Yeah, and he has that big first serve, so when in these tight exactly. service games, he's able to bail himself out. Mm -hmm. uh, so I... I agree with I agree with you there. Yeah, good. Uh, I'm glad to hear. It. But no, I cut you off before you can move on to Arthur Ferry. I'm fascinated oh, to yeah. hear your thoughts on the uh, Stanford Rising sophomore. Yeah, so I saw him in uh, French Open qualifying, and I was really impressed. Uh, he was nervous, but he had good, easy power, and he looked he looked like he belonged. Uh, and again, in this tournament, he looked like or qualifying tournament, he looked like he belonged. He Beat, or I think the win over Ebden was the more more yes. impressive of the win. Ebden's a really good grass court player, uh, and he held Ebden to 58% first serves one and 55% second serves one, winning, breaking Ebden's serve six times. So I was that was impressive to me. Um, and yeah, we'll see what happens. But he definitely a strong player to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. No, again, and Stanford brings back everyone next season. He's probably going to be playing two singles. Is he, which is is he gonna? Season. You don't think he's gonna go pro soon? I mean, he has the game where I would start considering going pro. It depends. A, do you leave Stanford ever before you have to? Like, unless he's top two hundred, I go back for another spring, and the wild cards will come, and I think he'll be okay. I think he goes back for one more at least. But no, I mean, barring Speaking him winning of wild a couple cards. of challenger titles. Speaking of wild cards, how, this was something I was thinking about yesterday. Do, do you mind if, if I go here? Well, I don't. I will say because I know some people are like, how did you not mention Jason Jung, a fellow Wolverine, as another college tennis player who lost in the final round of qualifying? And the answer was because I didn't want to hurt either of our feelings. But please, David, take it where you must. Okay, well, we can start with John, with Young. Um he uh he is actually a grass court game. Barrera was a tough matchup in the final qualifying round, but he had a he, beating a Goyowitz in the first mm -hmm. uh, qualifying round. That's a good win. Uh, Goyowitz has black ground strokes to could be tough on grass, and he handled them well. But it's just like I feel like it's a theme with Michigan, right? We always come up short. Uh, don't say that. Don't buy into that narrative. We're the leaders in the best. Come on, David. <laughs> Until we play Ohio State. <laughs> no, I, I don't grant that premise because we beat them this year in men's tennis and that's all that and women's tennis. And that's all that really matters. Maybe <laughs> Do you hear the resignation in my voice. As I say it, I'm like, I've, I've yeah. convinced myself of the lie. But anyways, anyways, yeah. we're off topic here. We're off track. We're off track. Um, you wanted to take this a certain direction, please. Wild cards. Speaking of wild, I just cards. wanted to, yeah, just get on my soapbox for a second. Good. Uh, I'm, I'm all in. I'm with you. I'm, I'm sure you're rolling your eyes. Okay. I just think that the fact that Anton Matusevich got didn't get a wild, they had two wild cards that they didn't give, and I appreciate they're not going to give it out to anyone. But did anyone who watched Dennis Kuzla who qualified, but 
he had to go through qualifying. And Anton Matusevic, who played probably the best qualifying match of the tournament against uh, Zapata Morales yesterday. Did any, does anyone really think that those two didn't deserve to have a wild card in? No, the Kudla one is, I don't understand. Like, I, I mean, he got through qualifying, so it doesn't ultimately matter. But, like, he made the challenger final. And, like, he's routinely been in that round, routinely been in the qualifying discussion, former fourth rounder. You knew he's getting into the main draw. I mean, look, wild cards are wild cards. And I get why Draper got one, because he deserves it. I get why Andy Murray got one, because he's Andy freaking Murray. But like, What about uh, Jay Clark? I think that Kudla belongs. I mean, look, it's an LTA event. The LTA is going to do what they're going to do. It's their but event. I'm saying thing. Clark for, uh, why did Clark get one over Matusevich? You're split. I agree. It's, it's, I think it's splitting hairs. I think both of them are in that same realm of deservedness. Like, I don't know why, I don't know what Matus. I, I mean, why make the case, I suppose, for Matusevich uh, beyond the match uh, we just saw him play. Well, he had he had the run in Nottingham qualifying. Um, he's been playing. He's been. Uh, I just think he. Well, maybe just because I think he has significantly, significantly higher ceiling than Clark. So I just feel like they should be giving the wild cards to the ones that have the most potential in the future. But yeah, here's the I thing. The thing opinion. is, we don't know. What if there was some sort of low key qualifying event that the LTA holds? I know the USTA does these shadow wild card events at the National Center, and sometimes the winner of that event straight up just gets the wild card. And like, there's a world where perhaps they did that, and Jay Clark beat Matusevich. That's why I don't. It's very yeah. possible. That I didn't, I didn't think about that. That's that's true. The Australian Open has the playoff, or they used to. Not exactly. that bad. They didn't have it this year. I think they did have it this year. Anyways, that's it. a discussion for another. Did we, I think we two won, right? Yeah, that, that sounds right. No, that's yeah. The, yeah, something like that. But anyways, these wild card events do happen, so that's that's why I don't know the answer. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, sorry for getting off track. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. It brings us to again the other qualifiers here, and we'll transition to the women's after this. But you look across the board. You had O'Connell. You had Gregoire Barret. You had uh, Daniel Masur. You had Mark Pullman's Antoine Huang. Uh, you had Trungaliti knocking off Vandesen's sculpt, but he got in eventually as a lucky loser. You had Zapata Morales, Bonzi, uh, Greek Spore, uh, Uchi, uh, excuse me, Oscar Ota. Uh, and uh, uh, Marcelo Thomas Barrios Vera, who knocked off number one seed Camille Matrizak in that final round of qualifying as well. Those are your 16 men's qualifiers. Any final thoughts on the men's side, David? Yeah, I just want to say again, Zapata Morales really impressed me. He had he was able to bring his clay court game and translate it to the grass. He hit with such great depth, and uh, and he took advantage of the openings when he saw them. And he was able to really return well, too. I think Matusevich yesterday was a little, was definitely shocked because I don't know if you saw that, that GIF on, uh, or GIF on, on Twitter where Matusevich was basically like, how do you return like that? And he couldn't yeah. believe the way that Zapata Morales was just getting these returns back in perfect positions. So I was super impressed with him. He beat Tomic and Gianessi. Gianessi is a clay quarter in straight sets and then had went over to switch yesterday. He's going to be someone, I, I never thought I would say this, but the Pata Morales, you know, he plays Garin in the first round. He can win that with given the way he played. It's not like Garin's this seasoned grass quarter. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said there. And so again, then, oh, please go ahead. Oh, then I just, because they're right next to each other in the draw. <laughs> Kudla against, so we have Kudla playing the 30 seed. We were just talking about Kudla against uh, Vidovich Bikina. That's a winnable match for Kudla, too. That's a very fun match. It's a very athletic match. And so that'll absolutely be a good one to follow. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is hard true the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. 
Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Those are your men's qualifying results. Let's flip gears now, talk about the women's side. And I think the story, as always, when you look at the women's side, David, Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano, uh, Clara mm-hmm. Burrell, Kalinskaya, Katie Volleynets, Katie Swan, Shin Yu Wong, just Anna Konya, uh, Claire Liu. You look up and down the board. The next gen is here. I mean, these players are Katie Swan. Katie Swan. Yeah, that's an, uh, another one. I, I If I didn't mention her, I meant to. Uh, I mean, this next generation of women's players are so freaking good, David. And yeah. I mean, there's a reason they all take these qualifying spots. Obviously, for Osorio Serrano, she was your number one seed. Kalinskaya, your number four seed. But I mean, for Katie Valinets to beat a very much informed Beatrice Haddad Maya, five and four. For Claire Lou to knock off an informed Astra Sharma, four, six, six, two, six, one. I mean, those are damn impressive wins. And uh, again, I, I, I'm curious your reaction to them all, who you were most impressed by, because I, I mean, the Konya win over Parankova, obviously that should have been a main draw match. And it's a yeah. joke. I, hopefully Parankova ends up getting in as a lucky loser or something because she should be in the main draw of this event. But I mean, I look at a couple of these names. Konya is the one that obviously stands out, but like, if I told you two of these qualifiers end up in the third round, is that going to shock you? No, I'll tell you which one impressed me the most. Didn't drop a set. Not the one. I don't think it's anyone's that you are. I don't think it's anyone that you mentioned. Uh, Ellen Perez of course. Uh, did not drop a set. She, I think at least based on what I'm seeing, she only won two matches on grass in her career before this week. None at Wimbledon. She won, she qualified without dropping a set, including today against Ocean Doden, who is a, has a lot of power, easy power, big serve, and she was able to close them in two tie breaks. I'm and she seems based on Twitter at least that she's a very nice person. Uh, and so I'm happy to see her succeed. Yeah, no, I mean. I'm trying to, you know, I like to zig when others zag and or zag when others zig. And I feel like the common take is Ellen Perez is awesome and she gets so much Twitter love. So I'm trying to figure out what the zag can be without being mean. But I don't mm-hmm. know if there's a zag here, David. Like, well, Ellen Perez a, is. Yeah, no, they're with her now. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's a zag here. So I'm going to agree with you entirely. A great person embraces all that it means to be a professional tennis player and engage and interact with the fans out there. But yeah, that was an, that was a super impressive win for her. You know it's, who else was impressive? Please lay it on me. Ne- uh, Monica Nicolescu. Absolutely. Qualified without, without losing a set. She beat on today in straight sets. Just such a talk about a fun player to watch. She is so entertaining when she, when she's on her game. Yeah. How about Preet Minnan? Preet Minnan was excellent. The two and two win over Lepchenko in final round qualifying as well. I think with her attacking game style, her comfort level moving forward, I think she's a dangerous player. And then I'm curious what you think of Claire Lou, because mm-hmm. I, I was at an event in Lexington last uh, pre pandemic. So last February and, I was super impressed with just the easy power she's able to produce off of both wings. And obviously she has some super good results during the clay court stretch. She's been outstanding over her last 52 weeks. You know, she cracked that top 150 really early on and she's a former junior slam champion. And again, her peer group is the Kennens of the world, the Bellises of the world who we saw crack the top 50. That's who she was competing with as a junior Took her a little bit longer, but now she's back near her career high, or I think at her career high in the top 125. What do you think of Lou's game? 
Um, I think that it's really impressive. I saw her against, I saw her in clay uh, against Irani uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, I think it was Bowling Garris. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was so impressed with her stamina in that match. It was three hours, 27 minutes long. So that showed me a lot about her stamina, her easy power, big forehand. She's real, always trying to get aggressive. Uh, Sharma is a tough opponent. We actually talked about her in the last podcast. Like she, you know, Sharma likes the huge serve, likes to get to the net. And she was able to come back from a set down to beat her. So it was really impressive. Um, another player that was really impressive that is following the college tennis theme. I believe she went to USA. Lau. And yeah, Lau, uh, that's correct. I was, that was a, probably the surprising qualifier. Cause I see her as more of a slower not a, not a grass court player at all, but good for her. Did you see any of her? No, I mean, look, 30 years old, she qualifies for her first Wimbledon. Obviously, that's the sort of stuff you dream about in your pro career, and she's able to do it. So you have to give her credit. Now, you look at her performance here, and as you mentioned, Lau able to qualify in the end. She does get uh, the straight set victory over uh, Radwanska. I mean, yeah, she she just looked comfortable on the surface. That was the crazy thing was just how assertive she was with the first ball and attacking open space. And I, again, this gets to the lack of comfort right now for so many of these players on this surface. It's been over a year since they've competed on it. And so, again, when you start to look at their the wherewithal, the knowledge of just how to win grass court matches, I think a lot of these players have forgotten, David. And that's why I think we're going to see some funky results over the next two weeks. Yeah, it's, as we said before, the women's track, especially wide open. Absolutely. I'm curious, did you get to see Volley Nets play at all? I've seen Volley Nets. I actually watched Volley Nets a lot. I think it was in one of the ITFs uh, recently where she went on that run, but I didn't see her this week. Um, I don't, you know, Volley Nets, I've seen, I, she's fine. Um, I don't see it. I don't think that she's going to be a, a dominant player, though. Yeah, the thing is, she's really solid off of both wings, but what's the big weapon, right? She did a really good job in this match taking balls early and just putting pressure on Hadid Maya, getting her stretched. Again, when I think of someone, what's the best case scenario for her? Who's someone who changes direction really, really well? I mean, there's so many different types of players who do so. Maybe it is a Kasakina. Maybe that's the best sort of scenario. But even then, Kasakina's got that forehand and the serve that has a bit more bite than Volley Nets does right, uh, right now. But you got to give her credit, right? That's a heck of a performance to qualify for this slam. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe she'll prove me wrong. And yeah, you're right. She is being solid. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. In terms of being solid, you can get far being solid. You, can, you can't get to the top of the game, but you can get far. Um, and you can have a very solid career. And I believe I believe she's pretty young too, right? She's only 19 years old. So mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I'm you curious. Still has plenty of time to develop a weapon. Yeah. Do you have a strong Osorio Serrano take one way or the other? The way she incorporates the drop shot, the backhand slice, and then just every so often she'll rip one down the line. I know most of her success have come on clay courts, but mm-hmm. her game seems to just be working on this grass as well. Yeah. I would say, though, I really like her on clay. The reason she qualified is – because she got a pretty weaker draw that, here. I, um, I, we can Parisa agree on that Diaz for sure. Frieza's DS is a clay quarter. Udvardi is better in clay. Even though I was, I talked her up a little bit last, uh, I was happy to see uh, Udvardi won her first round qualifying, but she's better in clay. And then Liang is 258 in the world. Um, and she's fine, but it, I, I would expect a player of the quality of Osorio Serrano to beat her. But you know what? It says something that she was able to get through on her, what probably is her least favorite surface yeah. or least best surface. So least comfortable surface. Yeah. No, um, I, I, I think that's all fair to say. And again, your qualifiers on the women's side, Osorio Serrano, Lau, Burrell, Kalinskaya, Volinet, Swan, Wong, Konya, Kovartsova, Perez. Uh, we also had Pananama, Kirkov. Uh, you had Sorenko, Nicolescu, Diachenko, Minin, and Claire Liu advancing to the main draw. Now, again, 
all eyes getting ready to turn towards Wimbledon, but we do still have a couple of other warm events going on elsewhere across the globe. I want to run through those events with you now, David. Let's start on the women's side because okay. I thought quarterfinal Thursday yesterday on the women's side was particularly exceptional. And you look at the matches we saw unfold in Eastbourne. I legitimately think that the quarterfinal between uh, Kasekin and Ostapenko is a potential quarterfinal preview at the this year's Wimbledon and you look for both players in their career they both have made quarterfinals at Wimbledon before uh has done it once Ostapenko actually a two-time quarterfinalist and a semi-finalist back in 2018 her power tennis it's just like if she connects with the ball cleanly she's winning that point because of how heavy that ball is and how difficult it is to again change direction and move on this surface she earns a one six seven five six two victory now we already talked about Kasakina being one of my dark horse candidates but Ostapenko former slam champion yet outside the top 40 she is not going to be seated David I want no part of her in my draw if I'm any of the top seeds before at least the start of the second week yeah, I would say that's true because she can beat anyone. She can also lose to anyone. Last it's week, true. she it's was true. atrocious against Martin Kova. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when she lost in Birmingham, uh, to, to, where she was just missing so many short forehands inexplicably. So you never, so, but I don't want to play her because if she's having a good day, she can beat anyone. She can also lose to anyone. So it's like, it's like, it's almost like playing roulette, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's going to land on red or black excluding green uh so um you know she's she certainly has a high ceiling and she can she can beat a serena a Barty if she's playing well but she can also lose to anyone she can lose to claire lou if she or uh, you know i'm just naming random players i have to see where her draw is but I'm saying she can lose to a qualifier. She can beat a top player. So, yeah, um, here's the thing. She's 11th in grass court ELO rating, 22 and 15 in her last 52. Her last six losses, David, Martin Sova, fine. But then Kennan, Pliskova, Brady, Pliskova, Barty. Like, I know the Pliskova yeah. losses aren't great. They were both in three sets. Like, that's a pretty good – she's found her form once again. And I do think we're seeing more of the good side than the bad side of Yelena Ostapenko lately. Now, you're right. One bad match, and she's out. And well, that's all it takes for her because if she does play bad, it's horrible. But I just – I've seen some really good tennis of late. And again, you look at her wins this week, Pavlochenkova, Jabor, Kasakina. you're going to have confidence going into Wimbledon. Yeah, but her draw at Wimbledon is, is interesting. Uh, have you seen it? It's, I have not laid out for me. Okay, so after the so first round, that's easy. Layla Fernandez. I don't see Fernandez. Ooh, I don't know how easy that is. Fernandez is going to put a million balls on the court and just make that match difficult. That's interesting, but again, go on. Then she probably will have to play Kazakina again. Fascinating. And then potentially in the third round, Andrescu. Ooh. Or Cornet. Andrescu plays Cornet in the first round. See, so but again, that... but there's a pathway for her there, and then things start to open up, right? Because she'll have knocked out Andrescu, so that's the big seed. Yeah. But I could easily see her losing to Kazakina. Kazakina will have to have, will have had some time to rest. I think um, – you know, Ostapenko beat her yesterday, but at the mm-hmm. same time, Kasekina had played a lot of tennis recently. No, Kasekina was up. I, I think Kasekina was up a set and a break as well, and so certainly she had her chances in that match. And again, I, we already laid out the case for Kasekina earlier, but no, that's a fascinating section of the draw. Uh, and again, that was a really fun match yesterday in Eastbourne. Ostapenko ultimately advancing one six seven five six two. Her power tennis just wearing down Kasekina over time, but. I know a match you were locked in on is the Sevastova match. And look, Sevastova's ability to throw slices at you from the outer thirds and just make you uncomfortable. And then if you do leave a ball in the center of the court, she'll rip through it. She's got a good first serve as well. She's got all the weapons, all the tools to have success, but I'm on the Rabakina bandwagon. And I've already inducted her into Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. She does have that gear. She's a top five power. I mean, look, she... She's a top five server by the metrics via tennis abstract stats leaderboard. She has elite power. Now, reigning in that power is, of course, and broadening her skill set are the two things she's going to have to do throughout her career. 
But that's the two things everyone has to do throughout their career. And I think her ability to go off speed, the decisiveness with which she plays, her willingness to move forward, she's just never out of matches because if she does start to click, she's going to win two, three, four, five games in a row. And again, in this match, she... I think there, you know, she was up a break early in that second set, and then Sevastova served for the matchup 6-5. Rabakina ends up breaking back. Sevastova had some match points. Rabakina comes up with some ridiculous down-the-line power and, you know, uh, a big forehand, a big backhand down the line draws a forehand error from Sevastova as well on one of the match points. Like, I know you're about to make the case for a Sevastova choke. I can't completely disagree with you, but I also think Rabakina just keeps swinging and that's why she puts herself in a position to win a match like this. Yeah. And well, I'll say with Sevastova, I think sometimes on court and not just in this match in general, she's a little too emotional on court. And I know that's part of like her, you know, I like, I know that that's been a long time thing, but I think sometimes she almost works herself up too much towards the, especially as the match goes on. So I think that's something to work on. But I do want to say Rybakina. Um, first off, the, her improvement since around uh, Miami has been incredible. She was having trouble keeping balls in the court um, for a long time this season. Then around the time of Billy J. Jean King Cup, she turned it around. Uh, she started to turn it around. Uh, but I would also say that at the start of the match, she was not getting low on the hunting grand stroke she was slapping at the ball she did she adjusted really well she had more margin she started to hit her spot some more and she turned the match around uh big time and it wasn't just and you're right it wasn't just Sevastova. it was partially her too mm-hmm. no absolutely and again uh this was a really high level match these are two players who can absolutely make noise come wimbledon I thought yesterday's Eastbourne matches in general, fantastic day of tennis. You had four three setters. Uh, you had Camilla Georgie knock off Arena Sabalenka. Sabalenka was up a break early in that first set, really should have won this match in straights, but ultimately 7 6, 0 6, 6 4. Georgie wins. I will continue to point out Sabalenka 46 and 15 in her last 52, David. 13 of those 15 losses have been three sets. So she is going to find 20 to 25 minutes in every match where she's going to play her best tennis and just kill you. And that's why I continue to stay on the Sabalenka bandwagon, because if she can extend those 25 minutes into an hour, she's going to beat everyone. And like, maybe this is perfect for her. Not, no expectations, low, uh, again, uh, pressure coming into this Wimbledon. Maybe this is the one where she makes that second week run and makes a quarterfinal, a semifinal. Like the, the good for Sabalenka looked really good in this match, but there's still plenty of extracurricular stuff. And again, credit to Georgie who just swings. Like that's just what she does. She's going to swing. If it goes in great, if not, whatever, I'm going to swing again on the next <laughs> point. But that's, I feel fine yeah. about Sabalenka heading into Wimbledon. Like I feel sneaky good for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. I, well, I know you're a, a Sabalenka super fan. Uh, I would say mentally in slams, you know, she might, there's something where she has a mental block in slams ever since she lost her sock at the U S open in 2018. Uh, her draw is, I mean, Nicolescu in the first round, Alexander, you know, that's a tricky first rounder. Uh, Alexandrova is a big game who she could face in the third round. Sakari. I don't, is her, is the, um, she has Rybakina in potentially in the fourth round or Sakari. I think it would probably be Rybakina. I could, I mean, it's hard to say. I think that's kind of the theme for the women's draw again, is it's hard to say. I mean, she could lose to Nicolescu. She can make the quarterfinals. It's really hard for me to even give a prediction because who knows, especially with Sabalenka and slams. And yes, she should have won the match, but the fact that she didn't win the match showed that showed that she has having also too many times in the third set yesterday, she was broken four times on grass. I mean, that's not acceptable. No, I, I agree with you again. That's the ups and downs. That's what makes the Sabalinka experience so enjoyable. But again, she, uh, I haven't looked at the draw yet, but she's going to be a top five seed and certainly again, lower expectations. Perhaps that'll be a good thing for her, but a great result from Camila Georgie and then Annette Conteve 
uh, able to survive against Veronica Golubic. Also, Golubic served for the matchup 6-5. Conte, I believe, gets the break back to force the tiebreaker. 2-6-7-6-7-5 victory for Conte. I believe they faced off first-round French Open. So that's two wins now for Conte over Golubic in this sort of fashion. I will say there are five minutes in every match where Golubic looks like the best player in the world, where she is just slapping that one-handed backhand down the line or hitting the big forehand all over the court. Yeah, she has a beautiful backhand, but... Hey, man, Conteve doesn't lose to players that aren't in the top 15 anymore. Like, you have to be really, really good to beat her. She can do a lot of things well. She found her first serve over the course of the match. Anyway, those were your Eastbourne quarterfinal results. In terms of now switching gears, looking at Bad Hamburg, again, pretty straightforward day of results. I believe rain washed everything away, so they're going to have to double up here today, and I think our quarterfinals are in the books. You look across the board, it's Sinyakova over Cerebes Tormo. Kvitova over Podoroska. Kerber, three sets over Anisimova. I talked about that match yesterday. I wanted to see a good result from Anisimova. She puts one forward here. I think both her and Kerber, you don't have to make the case for Kerber, but I think Anisimova is sneaky dangerous at Wimbledon as well. Uh, and then, as mentioned, Sinyakova uh, beats Sigamund in her... Oh, so she's won twice today. She beats her in the quarterfinal, then she beats Rebus Tormo in the semifinal. Way to go, Katarina Sinyakova. Any bad Hamburg thoughts any sleepers dark horses you throw in from the mix there obviously Kvitova as a contender if healthy I don't know what to say about Kerber I would say about Kvitova I think she's putting in way too much effort this week uh and I think that she probably is going to end up regretting it uh she hasn't looked that great to be honest she lost a set to I don't want to butcher the pronunciation Peter or Peter uh, she lost this. Anne Lee played well, but she lost this set to Anne Lee. I just think she's put in a lot of effort this week. I don't think she's, you know, I, I, I just don't see her going the distance at Wimbledon. I just don't see it happening. I think that her time winning slams are over, personally. Who is going the distance at Wimbledon, David? What's your prediction right now on the women's side? Because it's wide, uh, it's wide open. You know what? You know, I, ah, man, I really want to say that. I think Angie Kerber, uh, you know, who is also in this tournament, I guess a bit of a Kerber later will give us a good idea where they both are. I want to also say, Serena, this is her chance. Grass, things are quicker. She's not going to get pulled into a ton of long rallies. She's always been amazing on grass. I mean, if she's ever going to win another major, I think it's this one right now. It certainly feels like the field is open enough for her to do it. I mean, it's I, it's hard to predict that, but her, I guess Kerber in the third round against Serena, that could be quite the showdown. And because if Kerber can keep up her form from this week, that will tell us a lot about Serena Williams because – as we saw in the Wimbledon final, uh, Kerber can frustrate Serena in multiple Grand Slam finals. Kerber can frustrate Serena from the ground, even you know back in 2016 when she won the Australian Open over Serena. So I really want to see, I, re- I really hope that match happens, and I want to see how they play. Uh, and I, Kerber could face some tough, uh, tough matchup with Kun Hu in the second round. Uh, but I'm very excited about that potential match because that's not the easiest draw for Serena. Yeah. No, again, it does feel like it's wide open that all of these events trying to predict anything has been so, so, so difficult. And so again, I guess, keep your eyes out for all of these players. And, you know, again, we will be doing our draw previews later on this weekend. As we break down that draw, perhaps we'll just be able to tell which pathway is easiest. uh, And again, where we should be leaning in all of these events, but that's enough on the women's side. Before I let you go, David, let's quickly switch gears, talk about the men. And again, uh, we're going to breeze through these pretty quickly, but you look in Majorca and Eastbourne over these past few days, we can start in Majorca where uh, yesterday you had Sam Query coming rounding into form, knocking out Bautista Goot 6376. You had Carreno Busta four and four over Thompson, Manorino, three sets over Lopez. And then I thought a pretty good win. 
for Daniil Medvedev over Kasparu. Just did such a good job hitting to the open space, such a good job playing on his front foot. Now, I believe as we're recording this, he's down a set, but up a break against He's uh, up, a break, in the third, up a break now in the third. I think, this is, I think this was a much needed week for Daniil Medvedev heading into Wimbledon, and I don't worry about his fitness at all, but I'm starting to look. I mean, Manorino has constantly had success on these grass courts, so him making a second round wouldn't be anything crazy, but I think Slam and Sammy is the sleeper, right? You want no part of him in your draw if you're any of these top seeds. Yeah, I I think people are getting tired of me on Twitter saying that, you know, Djokovic, if he faces a query type player, could be in trouble. But I think Sam is he's a different player on grass. It's pretty incredible to see how he's just he has this energy that he doesn't that he hasn't had this season really at all. And he just looks invigorated. He's serving well. Uh Yesterday, he had a nice win over Batista Gouda in straight sacks. Like you said, 84% first serves one did not get broken. That's really, really good stuff. And I'm excited to see how he does in Wimbledon. He's had a lot of success in the past. And so for me, he's definitely a sleeper and someone that I have my eyes on. Um, but at the same time, you never know with him. If his, if his serve, if he's not hitting his spots, he could lose to Karen Busta in the first round. That's going to be a great first round matchup. The, the opening is there, though. If he can beat Karen Busta, the next round is Duckworth or Alba. So, yeah. No, that's what happens when you get a seed, right? You can get through them. Things start to open. And if Sam can get through that match, certainly he's a guy a lot of people are going to circle to make some noise. Now, again, Medvedev, Manorino, we know what to expect. Reno Boost is an interesting one. And that he and Sam are going to play first round. That's funny because whoever gets through that match, certainly you think that draw, that section of the draw relatively open for them. Uh, you look at the results we've seen in Eastbourne. Another good week for Alex Diemenauer. He is in into the semifinals with a win over Vashik Pospisil. You also get a first ATP semifinal for Sun Wukwan, who he's been excellent this year. And I kind of documented that on yesterday's podcast, so I'm not going to repeat the numbers again. I will say, if Max Purcell plays like this, he might be one of the 15 best players in the world. Like, I've never seen <laughs> someone move this well on grass and just seem to land everything in the court, even when it's a flick on the run like he has this week. He advances over Seppi, and then Sinego who you forget has a grass court title and Talia 2019, his length, his weapons to serve the forehand dangerous as well. Entering this Wimbledon, your thoughts on the Eastbourne results. Yeah. So Sinego actually beat Purcell in three sets uh, today. Okay. Uh, I would say Sinego also in that query Torino Busta area. Uh, yeah. And so that's a lot of players this uh, who are going far this week or in that little section, but at the same time, I just think, I don't see Sinego as this grass quarter at all. I know he has a big serve, but he has that wind up on the forehand with the heavy, with the heavy top spin, but he's been making it work uh, pretty well. I would say though, that out of that little section, I get, I, I'm a query guy. I, I mean, not just because I like him as a person. I think that uh, he, I think he's the best, grass quarter in that section and I would expect him to come through, but yeah, Max Purcell, I know he was saying that he hasn't got a lot of support from the tennis Australia, but you know what? That's not, they're kicking themselves because he's playing great tennis. He's, he can actually, I know he's more known for his doubles play, but he in challengers. And then I remember in the Aussie open playoff, he can, he can really play in the, he can really play singles too when his serve is uh, hitting its spot. So I'm really happy for him. It seems like this was, a, you know, it seems like it meant a lot for him to win this week. No, it was a really, really fun week to watch. Again, you can see when a guy's clicking and just enjoying the moment and soaking it in for all of its worth. That's what Max Perso was this week. But again, shout out to him. Shout out to my guy, Sun Wukwan, who I've been saying for a while, top 75 floor can just do so many things so well on the court. Uh, but again, those are your results here as we look towards the year's final Grand Slam and uh, the year's final, excuse me, the year's third Grand Slam final grass court of 
event of the season. Well, I guess Newport's right after as well. Anyways, I'm just going to throw out everything I just said there, David. For those listeners who don't know, you wrote a piece on our website for men's qualifiers to watch at the 2021 Wimbledon. That's piece number one. What else have you got for our listeners and where else can I follow it all this week? Yes, on my blog, I'm going to be, I'm, I've just started a piece on, uh, I had a, a matchup breakdown of, San, of uh, Taylor Fritz versus Brandon Nakashima, that first round match. I did that for the, uh, for the French Open where I picked, it, that one was Alcaraz, the Pato Morales, where I picked the men's uh, match that, or the match in general that uh, excites me the most. And that, that, I mean, I'm so excited to see how that one plays out. Hopefully Fritz is healthy. Uh, and is able to play at a high level, then I probably, I definitely will have a couple pieces out on last word on tennis. I might do for y'all, maybe I'll do a, uh, I'll be a part of y'all's draw preview or the predictions uh, that y'all are doing. So there's going to be a lot of stuff for me. Yeah, no, again, we are looking forward to reading it all. No one stays on that beat closer than you. So again, uh, David, as always, thank you for taking the time to chat with us here today. Hope you enjoyed this weekend as we get to- head towards another Grand Slam. And then again, once the first week of a Grand Slam starts, it's like a blink of an eye. There's so much action. So it all happens so fast. So we're looking forward to it. Hopefully we'll get the chance to chat with you soon. Stay safe. Stay healthy, my friend. It feels like even with Roland Garris, you know, now this so quickly, it feels like it's all just going in the blink of an eye. Thank you so much for having me. I really oh, it's crazy, it. right? It's like, aren't we still in pandemic mode? Like, are we, is Western and Southern, it, that's in Cincinnati this year, right? Not New York. Like, it's like, that. Where, what, what are we doing this year? Where's the East Coast exhibition? Uh, where's that yeah, U.S. Pro Series? Like, I really yeah. need another, yeah, I need another East Coast Series. That's hilarious. But yes, David, <laughs> thank you. As always, we will chat with you soon. Bye. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Cracked Rackets contributor David Gertler. A huge thank you to him for doubling up this week, coming on both the Great Shot podcast and today's mini break podcast episode. If you have not already, you can go check out more of David's work on our website, CrackedRackets.com. As mentioned, he wrote about the four most dangerous men's qualifier in the main draw. So if that is a topic that interests you, I believe it was Nakashima, Kudla, Rinderneck. I don't remember who that fourth one was. It's a mystery. So you'll have to go check it out on our website. And again, while there, you'll see all of our coverage of this 2021 Wimbledon. We've got a preview guide coming for all of you. That means an article from our experts here at CR. We've got a top 10 women's contenders pod, men's and women's draw breakdowns, all of that content coming your way. So be on the lookout for it all on our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and all of our shows. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fligner and Westoff, my friend David Gertler, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.